The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello, and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host for this episode, Don DeLorente. You can find me on Twitter at Don DeLorente. I'm joined by Tyler Ball. What's going on, Tyler? Hey, what's happening? Uh, you can catch me on Twitter at TABall1. Uh, for those of you listen to, who have already listened to our uh, podcast that was, that was released on Wednesday, uh, Taking the Knee, um, want to, you know, welcome back. But for those who haven't, please, please, please check out uh, the Taking the Knee episode, which we aired this week. And, you know, some very poignant remarks on uh, just the oh, peaceful, unified protests of the National Football League. So you can find that show. episode on our website at www.cspn.us. You can also find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter. You can follow the show at KTSPod. Well, Tyler, the end of this week on Saturday, it will be October 1st. And, or, yeah, yeah Saturday, October 1st. Yep. So we all know what that means. It's playoff time. Fall baseball time. Yeah, that's right. So as the end of the season is wrapping up, we have most of our playoff matchups in place as we have just a a couple of division, one more division that needs to be clinched and one more wild card that needs to be clinched and everything will be, you know, set in motion. So what we do know for sure is that on Tuesday, October 3rd, the Twins and the Yankees will be facing off in the wild card game, the basically one game playoff to see who advances to play the Cleveland Indians starting that Thursday. Now we'll start with the AL first. I'm not really a big fan of the one game just because like baseball is about a series and I would rather them play like three games, like, you know, one home, one home. And then if they need the third game, the third game, but since we only have one game, this is going to be very interesting because I think that the Twins have enough good pitching that they can maybe keep the Yankees' bats down. But they're playing in Yankee Stadium, and the Yankees have had a great home record this year. I'm really up in there. This is a real toss-up for me. I, I don't know. It's just going to depend on who's starting for which team. If they can get one of their top two guys on, on the bump, then, you know, versus maybe the third or fourth guy for the other team, that might be the, the actual advantage that, that lies within whoever's going to win, just who has a better starting pitcher for that game. You know, to be honest, I don't think it's necessarily the starting pitcher that has all the pressure. I think if you do this by committee, but you play all th- you go on Tuesday, and then you play, in theory, on Thursday, but you've got to win Tuesday. So I say you pitch by committee and treat it like an all-star game. Put your even if you have to limit your pitch counts. I say get the twenty-seven outs that you need and win the game. That's the most important thing. You got you got to at least get twenty-seven. And I say if you see, if you start to get in trouble and you've got to got to um, you've got to pick your matchup. Don't stay with your pitcher too long. Right. Get him out. Right. 
Get him out. Well, that's that's the key to all playoff baseball <laughs> is to limit the damage once your pitching starts taking a beating. Uh, the next matchup is tentatively set for Wednesday, the 4th. The, t- the teams are still not decided yet, but we know the Rockies for sure and at the Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks are in. The Rockies are still yet to clinch. They have to win one more game, and uh, they will be in the National League wildcard game. Um the advantage here goes to the Diamondbacks. Uh, even though the Rockies have gotten much better on the road this year, it's the you know the Diamondbacks having that home field advantage, the Rockies not being able to you know use the light air to help their potent lineup. I think I'm gonna have to go with the Diamondbacks on this one. I, I think they'll be able to have enough pitching and enough defense to win a you know three to four game, two to three type game. The the Diamondbacks have a more balanced lineup. I like uh, Goldsmith. Goldsmith. To me, if I had to choose, would be um, he would be my MVP by a hair over uh, Arenado. But um, I think the difference is going to be Fernando Rodney. I think that um, Rodney Rodney is, is pitching extremely well right now, and I just think that you have such a great advantage with uh, with Rodney in there, and him and you can uh, you can be sure that if they get a lead. I think I can trust can actually trust the diamond bullpen bullpen more than I would Colorado's. Okay. All right. Now that will uh, take us to Friday. Once we get those matchup sets, we find out who, who wins the wild cards. And, and, you know, those two teams will, the AL winner will have to go play Cleveland, who is the number one seed. And the national league winner will have to go play the Dodgers. Now the other two series that we know we're going to get that are set in stone for sure. Going to be on Friday. They're the Red Sox and the Astros. Astros, um, up until you know Cleveland just went historic, um, have been the best team in the league. Uh, Altuve, you know, suffered an injury, so they kind of you know you know hit the skids here a little bit. Uh, second half of the second half, and they haven't been as hot. But it seems like you know they got Verlander. They traded for him. He's won his first five starts. He was very impressive in his last start with eleven strikeouts. He seems to be rejuvenated. Um, so. This is going to be a really fun matchup. Uh, the Red Sox lineup um, is really fun to watch. They're outfield super fast. Um, they don't really, you know, give up a lot of um, – their defense is really good. They don't give up a lot of extra runs. Um, they're, you know, one of the most patient teams at the plate, so they try to burn through your pitching. Uh, do you have a read on kind of Red Sox-Astros? Um, uh, who do you think is going to be the, the team to move on to the American League Championship Series? I'm going to take the Astros. Uh, I just think from top to bottom, the Astros are just loaded. Um, and, of course, uh, Altuve starts it off. Um, he's just – he's probably going to be the, the AL MVP um, just because he's his consistency. And he's, he's just one of – I think he's actually one of the toughest outs over the past five years. Um, but my key here is uh, defense. I tr- I trust the um, I trust the uh, Astros defense uh, more than I trust the Red Sox. And considering where they're going to play, you have to um, you have to think that Boston relies on a little bit more power. Um, and bo- even though Boston has the probably Boston probably has the better bullpen, I like the Astros' balance of bats from top to bottom. I know that I I know that. The, the Astros are confident that they can generate runs from the bottom of the order, and I'm not sure if 
uh, if Boston's confident enough. As a matter of fact, interestingly enough, they're playing right now. Um, and, uh, of course, the, Ast- the Astros are up 5 nothing um, in what could be a preview. So it's just interesting to see what they what the Astros are going to try to do. Right. Um, but I think um, – I think you look at uh, you look at Springer, look at Altuve. Um, you got power. You got power at decent spots. Uh, Ian Maben, uh, Gonzalez, and of course um, Gonzalez hitting sixth. Uh, I really, really like their squad, and of course Correa hitting cleanup. I mean, you can generate runs from all over the lineup, and that's why I think it's it's better off to uh, to go with these guys. All right, and on Saturday. Over in the National League, uh, this is going to be a very fun, fun series. We got the Cubs, who are probably the hottest team in the National League right now. So they've had a great second half. Uh, they, you know, buried themselves had a little bit of a World Series hangover first half of the season. Uh, got to the All Star break, they kind of regrouped and and took over the National League Central. And they will be going up against a team that's been coasting pretty much all season, getting ready to get to this point, and that would be the Washington Washington Nationals. Now the Nationals are getting Bryce Harper back in a fold. He just returned a couple of nights ago, uh, trying to get some at-bats, coming off a bruised knee, a calf strain where he slipped on the base, first base, trying to run a ball out about a month and a half ago. So, you know, he's trying to work his way back into shape. This is going to be such a fun series. Um, the Nationals clearly have the better uh, starting pitching, um, at least the top two. But after you get past that, the Cubs probably have the advantage in the in the lower part of the pitching order. I think mm-hmm. the I think the Nationals have had a bugaboo all season, and it's their bullpen. And the Cubs have kind of solidified their bullpen. So I think the Cubs may be primed for an upset here. I know the Nationals will probably come in being the favorite, um, you know, since they're the second-best team in the National League. But I think the Cubs are just so hot, and they've got that World Series pedigree, that playoff experience of you, we know what it takes and the kind of focus and the kind of fun that they need to have to play with. So I think the Cubs will, will make a run back to the NLCS. Um, I think the key to the Cubs is figuring out the rotation. Uh, what do you do? Do you go Lester, Ar- Lester and Arietta? Uh, Lester pretty much pitches well everywhere. He's got a pretty solid ERA against the Nationals, even in Nationals Park, uh, which is just about right at three runs. Um, he has a three-run ERA, so that's not bad at all. Um, but Arietta is right there. He's at at 3.13. Um so you know your top two starters are going to be there and of course the uh the Nationals tend to hit lefties about as well as they do righties. So I think that uh, the decisions to go with um your best your best squad is probably better than just who's hot right now. Like uh, you know actually the bottom of the pitching rotation has been carrying the Cubs uh, lately with uh, Kyle Hendricks and uh, Jose Quintana. Uh, but these guys aren't cons- – these guys haven't been consistent against the Nationals. And Quintana's never faced the Nationals. Um, and he's also never pitched in the playoffs. So, you know, could be a matchup issue there. Um, you know, it's it's never it's never uh, great for a offense to see a pitcher that, you know, they haven't faced before. You know, but he's going to be your game four – your game four starter. So it should be interesting. But Joe Madden's got some work to do to figure out um, how to get this rotate this starting rotation right for the Cubs, and they're just hoping that the bats can get around and get a few runs on the board against the um, against the National starters. 
Yeah, I think what, especially for those first two games, what the Cubs' best game plan would be is to try to get the pitch counts up of the starters and try to get them out because in these short series like this, you know, you may be able to extend the series out and catch one of those guys having to come back on a short rest. And if you can, the more pitches you can get them to waste in game one, the weaker they'll be if they have to come back for game five. So, um, like I said, this is just going to be a lot of fun. I just think the Cubs, I, I just they've been they've been so hot. They've had so many playoff type games here in the last month. You know, trying to hold off the Brewers and the Cardinals for trying to make a late charge there too. So uh, I, I just think they're they've, they've been in playoff mode probably more than any team that is actually going into the playoffs on either side, American League or National League. So, um, you know, and then, you know, the Cubs-Dodgers again in the NLCS would really be a lot of fun. Um, the rematch, see if Clayton Kershaw can redeem himself um, in the NLCS this year. And then I think a lot of people would probably like to see Cleveland and the Astros uh, go at it in the American League Championship Series. But, you know the Yankees are such a wild card. If the Yankees can win and beat and beat the Twins, the way that they can hit the ball is very scary. Because if they can just get guys on base, they got two or three guys, four guys who can put the game, you know, ball over the fence and erase a three-run deficit, you know, with one swing. So uh, it would be very interesting if if that came down to, um, you know, that game it got extended and the Yankees pitching and bullpen you know, test Cleveland and extend them out. Um, Cleveland versus the Astros, though, I think that's what everybody would kind of figure would be the World Series matchup. Like, whoever won between those two teams would probably be the favorite going into the World Series, even if it was the Dodgers that, that made it through. Yeah, definitely. Um, the Dodgers right now just aren't – yeah, they're mixed bag. I, I don't know if you can trust them right now. Uh, you know, that's unreal how they, how they got the amazing start has almost been neutralized by this just just staggering uh, finish by by you know early season standards. So yeah, um, the, of course the Dodgers Dodgers have the pitching right. So now it's just will the bats catch up? They they really stepped up a lot when uh, Kershaw was out. A, a lot of their run was when he was hurt with his back injury, and then once he kind of came back and they started working him back in, and they traded for you Darvish. Is kind of when they started you know kind of like you said, kind of stalling around, stumbling around here, playing, you know, under 500 baseball for most of the second half. So, um, you know, maybe they're just another team that's kind of just waiting to get to the finish line and, and get a couple of days off and, and recharge and get focused for playoffs and, and, you know, start that second season. Once you, you know, get out to such a big lead and win so many games, it's got to be kind of hard to keep your focus, you know, when you're so far ahead and, and you know there's nobody that's going to be able to, you know, c- catch you from behind. So, you know, we'll see how that shifts, uh, if their focus shifts once the playoffs start. Well, with the end of the regular season, of course, comes to talk of, you know, postseason awards, um, MVPs and um, Cy Young Award winners. So in the National League, probably the top three guys that will be in the running will be Nolan Arnado of the Colorado Rockies, Paul Goldschmidt of the Diamondbacks, and Giancarlo Stanton of the Marlins. Uh, we'll start with Stanton. Um he probably will fall just short this year unless he has, you know, one of these uh, Homer and Buncher, Bunches stretches to kind of close out the season. Um, I think he's at 57 right now. Um, 
you know, he's got the big home run numbers, but of course, with a big slugger like that, the contact is not always at a premium. So his batting average is really low. He's got good RBIs. He'll probably be second, I think, to, uh, or maybe probably third in the running when they actually yeah, vote. Yeah, he'll finish third. When they actually vote. But, um, you know, he's definitely brought a lot of interest back to um, the Marlins, at least this season, and the home run chase with, you know, what people are feeling pretty confident to say is a non-aided, you know, run at 60 homers. Um, I also, let's add another thing too. Not only is the interest there, but now with the sale of the Marlins complete to the uh, group that uh, one of the, one of the members is uh, Derek Jeter, one of the investors. Now you got a question of what, what to do with him for next year. Do you get, do you, uh, do you try to trade him and, and, Nah. Prospects, or do you, or do you hold them to the trade debt deadline and see what's out there next year? If I'm the Marlins, you got to have somebody to sell the park. If you're if you're coming in as new ownership, he's under the contract. He just signed the the big contract two years ago, um, the ten year contract. You've got him wrapped up. He's you know really starting to kind of hit the prime of his career he's cut down on strikeouts a lot this year that's a lot for him you know mm-hmm. from where he was he seems you know to be kind of getting more mature in his plate appearances so i think that if you're investing in this group and you're coming into bottom marlins you got to have an attraction and he is definitely it um you got to have somebody to put you know to sell the tickets and that's what they're definitely going to need uh, in this first season under new management so yeah i don't think he's going anywhere i think he's entrenched he's he's probably going to be a marlin for um you know till he turns late in his 30s you know probably 36 37 they might decide to kind of move away from him then but uh, for the next four or five seasons yeah he's he's got to be on that team to 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 get them you know to where they want to be um the probably number 1 person here. It's going to be Nolan Arnado, followed up last season with another great season. He's got 35 homers currently, 126 RBIs. Uh, Goldschmidt has 36 homers, 120 RBIs. Um, you know, they're both playing out West. Um, they may be able to um, kind of decide who wins it amongst themselves when they play in this uh, one game wildcard game. If it shakes out that, you know, these two teams play each other. Um, who do you feel has a better track to, 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 to get the MVP? You think, I know you are really in love with Goldschmidt. I, I know that you've been touting him since we had our preview. Um, you know, I, I, it's literally a photo finish at this point. I mean, you've got, um, you really have to to literally go through a microscope to find something that Arenado stands out in. Um, you know, technically, Arenado has more hits and total bases. Uh, I mean, they're practically, uh, yeah, they're practically equal. But here is something that that voter that does matter. Um, how are you literally when your team is competing for a playoff spot? And, he, and both of them are, but you know, here's the difference. Um, Arenado was a was a bit better. Um, you know, he was way better at OPS. He's also um, a much better defender in the infield. Actually, he's he's arguably a gold. He's arguably going to win the Gold Glove. Um, he also has produced a little bit more with runners in scoring position. I mean, he's only second to uh, he's only second to to Daniel Murphy in the league. And he also leads 
in OPS with runners in scoring position, which is which is incredible. Um, you know, the, the highest number he's got the highest number as far as OPS with runners in scoring position since uh, since Miguel Cabrera's triple crown season in uh, 2013, which is nuts. Um, also, I think also you can determine that the fact that he's hit more uh, more homers pretty that's a pretty solid reason too, uh, because that means you're you know that means you're focused and it also doesn't really matter when you show up. You're you're going to be because you're going to be an equal threat. Most of your top players are much better at home versus on the road. But if you've got to split hairs, which you are with Goldsmith and Arenado, you've got to consider the fact that uh, Arenado's defensive uh, defensive efficiency uh, could be the very very well difference. I think it's going to be a minimum number of first place votes that decide the difference. And I think Arenado gets those few extra first place votes. All right. Now we'll shift over to the American League, where we've got Jose Ramirez of the Indians. We've got Jose Altuve of the Astros and Aaron Judge of the Yankees. Now we'll start with Jose Ramirez. Of course, um, he's got 50 doubles, 30 homers, 15 stolen bases, and he scored 100 runs. That is amazing to have those type of power numbers from a middle infielder. Especially the the to have that many doubles and that many homers, um, slugging percentage is just ridiculous. Um, and he's currently playing on the best team in the league, so you know he might have the inside track. You know, usually you know best team, best player, usually how the MVP works in most sports. But we'll see. Um, just your thoughts on on Jose Ramirez before we talk about LTV and then you know Judge. Best pl- you, uh, best player on the best team usually gets a lot of pub, but in baseball, um, it's they're more leading towards the individual who has the best numbers. Um, usually you'd like to see like to see the best player be rewarded, but not just because he's on a good team, well, typically in other sports, but in baseball it's more prevalent because uh, you know, teams can can pitch around you. So if they don't if they don't think that you're uh you know they've if, if that means the fact that you're putting up numbers and you're a known commodity, that means you also have pretty good teammates too, because you're getting pitches to hit. Um, you know, the ones that he's hitting, you know, he's done pretty well. Altuve is just um between him and uh and Judge is that uh, you know, Judge is one of those guys that can, you know, he can change the game with a swing of the bat, and it's always sexy. You're a big power home run hitter as an MVP candidate. Um, I, these two different types of players are going to push Ramirez down to, down to third, just because their numbers are a little bit more eye-popping, especially Altuve's Ramirez. Right. I think Altuve has been, this has kind of been maybe like two years in the making this season that he's had right here. Um, you know, if you've been watching the Astros closely, um, uh, you know, in the bleachers, split up to Michael Felder. He's a huge Astros fan. So um, uh, every time, you know, they're on or we go back and forth, we, we talk. And basically, you know, I've been telling me and him going back and forth going, yeah, 2017, they'll probably be their year. They got really close last year, ran out of gas at the end, missed the playoffs. But they came back this year and were really strong straight out of the beginning. And Altuve is definitely the major cog in that. Um, the Yankees resurgence this year, they're a, a year ahead of schedule, and that's definitely based on Aaron Judge's um, breakout season. He started the season just uh, amazingly. Of course, the pitching caught up to him. He had a little swoon there, and now he's kind of, 
he had a, a rough stretch where he was like striking out every time he got up there to the plate. He had like 50 strikeouts in a row, it seemed like. Uh, you know, got a couple of days off to kind of clear his head, and, you know, things got back right, and he's finished really strong uh, for a rookie. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, he'll have plenty of chances to, to put together MVP season, you know, but to finish third or second as a rookie, uh, that would be very impressive. Being a rookie here, and you just brought this up, I think being a rookie kind of hurts him here too because uh, it's you have to have – this tell, This also tells me quietly how good Mike Trout was his rookie year to uh, to be a bona fide MVP candidate. He's really great. Uh, and, you know, Chris Bryant last year, um, you know, just could really hit the baseball. Altuve does it all. Altuve can hit for – Altuve hits for average. Altuve gets for hits for – he can – you know he can hit for power. He can eat up bases. Uh, let's let's add that he's got thirty two uh, thirty two steals along with uh, uh, five fifty five slugging percentage. And that's only only uh, Trout, A Rod, Hen- Ricky Henderson, Jose Canseco, and Paul Molitor have done that. That's it in ninety four years of baseball, which is which is nuts. Um, not to mention Altuve is a solid you know solid fielder as well, and. You know, he's uh like that his consistency against uh against all pitching. he's situationally much better than uh than Judge. I think that gives him the nod barely his share of MVP votes. But I think Altuve does a little bit more and he's a little more effective overall than uh Judge just sitting there waiting for the perfect pitch to, to take over the fence. All right. All right. Now we we'll move over to the pitching award, the Cy Young in the National League. Uh, probably just going to be the top three. Uh, K- Kenley Jansen maybe has an outside chance, but you know relievers don't get any love in the Cy Young voting typically. So we've got Clayton Kershaw from the Dodgers, Max Serger from the Nationals, and also Steven Strasburg from the Nationals. Uh, Kershaw did a lot of his heavy, heavy lifting early in the season. Of course, he missed a big part of the season when he was out on in the DL with. Um, with this, with this back injury, um, Max Scherzer has been um, pretty consistent for the Nationals. He did have a little rough stretch there where uh, maybe his pitch count and Dusty Baker's management of him cost him a game or two here. And Strasburg has been lights out since he came back from his annual trip to the DL. Uh, I think he had at one point had 11 wins in a row and had a ridiculous um almost 50 in and scoreless streak going uh, for the Nationals. So out of those three, uh, who do you think is is the best candidate for this year, Cy Young? Got to go with Kershaw. Let's 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 be real real out here. Even though the purest numbers, uh, you know, he doesn't give up a lot of hits. He pitches deep into games and he strikes out a lot, a lot of guys. But Kershaw, better situation. He's a better situational pitcher, and he's probably the better big game pitcher. Games against. Consistently, he's done that. Unfortunately, that doesn't mean he's doing that. He'll do that in the playoffs, which has been the real problem. But uh, Kershaw, how Kershaw managed to have a better winning uh, winning percentage and a better pitching record against winning teams um, than Scherzer, which you know says a lot. I mean, I know he didn't get as many starts as um, injuries, but. At the same time, I mean, he's performed and he's been dom- he's been extremely dominant. The main reason why the Dodgers got off to the the rocket start that they did, um, they went out. They were a different team. 
Uh, you know, they lost 10 in a row, uh, you know, while he was out. And still good. They're still a good team without him. They're just not the same. They're not dominant, and there's no way they win without him. So I think when you add that and how how different how um, how dependent they are on him, a sol- a you know a pretty solid um, starting rotation with uh, Kershaw. For people who are super duper analytic baseball nerds, the one thing that might get Kershaw this Cy Young is his WAR. Is because you know the people who have replaced him have definitely not been as good as he has, and so that is kind of like an actual value to how valuable you are. So I yeah, think it's, that, it's that, literally one of the best stats in baseball, to be honest. Right. So I think that that actually might tip the scales over into Kershaw's favor, even though due to him missing that significant amount of time, he's dwarfed in all the actual numbers if you look at, you know, the strikeouts and the, the hits given up and the ERAs and all that stuff. You know, Serger has all the statistical stuff, but um, you know, like like you said, just how much he's meant to the Dodgers definitely um, would make him the most valuable pitcher, which that award is, is definitely for. And move over to the American League, the Cy Young. It's a two-horse race. If you got Corey Kubler coming off of last year, uh, proving that it wasn't a fluke, doing it again. And then Chris Sale, who moved over from the White Sox to the Red Sox this year and was uh, you know, very instrumental in them uh, regaining their perks back atop the American League East this year. Um, I really like Chris Sale. I like how, how he is one of these, you know, just throw it by you type of pitchers. He's up there to intimidate you and strike you out. Corey Kubler is more of a, you know, work, working man's pitcher, I call him. You know, he, he moves the ball in and out, up and down, keeps you off balance. Really a great contrast. Um, I, I, either one of these guys could really win it to me. I, I don't see a, a clear-cut distinction between either of them. Um, now, maybe Kubler, just because the Indians just went on that ridiculous streak, and they had, like, I think uh, 26 wins. I think they had, like, six or seven shutouts in that time uh, where their pitching was just – you know, really, really, really lights out. Um, what do you? What is your take on uh, Corey Kubler versus Chris Sale? Kubler's the best. I'm, I'm, it's, it's not even. It, I don't even have to go into analytics. It's an eye test for me. Kubler's the best. I mean, he he should be the MVP. I mean, I mean, he should be the Cy Young winner. Just dominant, uh, better overall, uh, overall numbers. Uh, you know, I I don't even have to get into analytics. I think he's just they've got a better. He's got better pitches he's got more dominant pitches and i just think that he has really propelled the uh the indians when he's out on the bump i mean just it's really not not complex to me at all i just think he's he's just uh i think he has uh just much more he's actually much more consistent than sale um you know sale sale props to sale because sales had a had a rocky uh he had a rocky start of course in the preseason when he got moved over um and he's been he's been a rock for the Sox but Kluber is just dominant um Slee is just uh pretty much Kluber reminds me of how good Kershaw was last year mm-hmm. um yeah. and and he's and on top of that uh you know Sale may have the most strikeouts and he's got the nice ratio but <laughs> and because and of course. Because Kluber plays in Cleveland, uh, oh, that's going to be a dominant. Actually, it's a mismatch. Uh, posted a, a 14.63 ERA in two starts against Cleveland. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that 
may be a telltale stat um, when you put them up head to head. You know, 14.63 ERA against Cleveland and 2.34 against the rest of baseball. So, yeah, that 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 might be it. But to me, I test wise, Kluber's the best pitcher in baseball right now, even even better than uh, than Kershaw to me. All right. Now we'll just get into the last award that we'll be giving out, which will be Rookie of the Year. Um, these will probably be unanimous in both divisions as Cody Bellinger of the Dodgers uh, come in swinging a big stick. I think he had 39 homers this year. Yep. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, a judge in the American League who just set the rookie record with 50, breaking Mark McGuire's record uh, from back in the day. So those will be probably unanimous choices for Rookie of the Year in the yeah. NL and AL. I mean, Judge, Judge, Judge is a no-brainer. I mean, he's in. He's he. We just discussed him being an MVP candidate. So yeah, he's got to be rookie of the year. Right. Just a reminder that this is Know the Score. We're brought to you by CSPN.us. You can find us on CSPN.us. You can also find us again on SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, and iTunes. So download, subscribe, rate, and review. Now we're going to shift over to the NFL week four. Going to preview uh, four games here. We're going to start off with the Titans and the Texans to take control of the NFC South. Um, the Titans coming off a very impressive win against the uh, Seattle Seahawks. Uh, they got a bunch of big plays, long run from DeMarco Murray. Uh, uh, Rashard Mitchell got a long touchdown pass and run. Um, they just they they made a lot of big plays on defense. You know, they kept Seattle pretty much contained. Russell Wilson, you know, kept the game close. But, you know, fourth quarter got a little bit out of hand. They got enough separation and uh, had an impressive victory. The Texans. Um, Sean Watson, uh, second start, you know, looked a little bit better against the, uh, Patriots. Basically the Patriots were on the ropes. They had them on the ropes. Deshaun Watson was a big reason why, uh, their defense let them down, which is a little bit, uh, surprising to me because that's really been the strength of their team the last four or five years is, is that defense and being able to make plays to, uh, preserve their wins. So, um, you know, Deshaun uh, Watson looks a a lot more comfortable in the second week. Um, his numbers were pretty decent going up against Bill Belichick. Um, you know, he had two touchdown passes. He had two interceptions. Um, so this will be another challenge for him. He's going up against Dick LeBeau and the uh, tough, very tough um, Titans uh, defense, especially when it comes to running the ball. Uh, the Texans are kind of doing running back by committee right now, so their running game isn't as strong as it has been in the past. Um, it looks like a game the Texans are playing at home, but it looks like a game that the Titans have a, a lot of the advantages. Um you know, just because they have the better running game, they have the better defensive line, they probably have the better offensive line as well. So it looks like a game that the Titans should uh, come out on top of just because of those factors. And, you know, you never know what you're going to get week to week from a rookie quarterback. But, uh, Tyler, what are your, your, your thoughts on this matchup? Um, I think that the way – I mean, okay, the way to beat an aggressive defense is to pound them with the running game. And the Titans have one of the best running games in football when you pair up um, DeMarco Murray with uh, rookie Derrick Henry, um, which also sets up the uh, sets up play action. Uh, you got you could throw the ball to guys like uh, Rashard Matthews plays. Uh, you got uh, John, uh, John Smith, who's emerging at tight end. He could be the next the next great franchise tight end. Uh, following the likes of uh, Frank Wycheck. Um I actually uh, I like the Titans defense as well. Um, they're they're pretty they're playing pretty well. Um, 
uh, kick returner and corner, um, Adoree Jackson, who's, uh, you know, he's got definitely a lot of potential. He actually had a punt return called back because of a, a clip, but he's, he showed off a lot of speed, um, have one of the best sets of special teams in football. Uh, Ryan Suckup has only uh, missed one kick so far out of 11, and that was, you know, well beyond 50. So I really like the Titans in this. Um, you know, pressure, pressure Watson in the turnovers. Um, he's actually, uh, you know, he's susceptible to that. When you have a rookie quarterback, that's what you're going to deal with. Um, he, uh, there's a lot of pressure on the Texans because you don't want to go to one and three, especially in, in their division. However, the Titans are simply just more talented on the field. So, All right. Our next matchup, we're going to move over to the AFC West as the Oakland Raiders are going up against the Denver Broncos. Uh, both teams are coming off losses. Um, very surprising losses, actually, for Denver. I didn't think that they would go um, and get handled the way they did after uh, at, at, at Buffalo after they you know, just dominated the Cowboys a week ago. And then the Raiders uh, came into D.C. this past Sunday and got completely shut down uh, by the Washington football team's defense. They got 10 points based on um, a muff punt and a fumble. Um, other than that, they might have got shut out. They didn't cross over the 100 yards of total offense until it was like four or five minutes left in the fourth quarter. I mean, it, it was a, a eye-popping, jaw-dropping display i don't know if the redskins were that good or were the raiders just that bad or, or what make of it so this is going to be a little bit harder game to handicap um you know now looking at this with these two teams doing you know come up to loss um i really like trevor simeon so I, I don't know if he's really the lesser of the two quarterbacks here Derek Carr is my man is my quarterback man crush if i could have any quarterback on my team it would be him so um i I probably have to go with the broncos just based on the strength of their defense their secondary seems to be you know a little bit tighter than um the raiders are um you know emerson is still uh you know very susceptible to to getting beat over the top yes so I'm gonna to have to go with the Broncos on this one. I think they, if they can uh, do like the uh, Washington Football Team did, and kind of just stay consistent with their run, and young Trevi Trev make you know the throws he's got to on third down and and protect the ball in the, in the red zone, I, I think they can squeak it out. Of course, Emerson, a product of Greensboro, North Carolina Dudley High School. Come on, man, got got help me help me out here, help me out. But uh, uh, the real issue that the uh, Washington exposed with the Raiders was uh, getting a ton of mismatches with the running backs, um, the passing game. Uh, Chris Thompson had 188 yards combined on 14 touches as they isolated him with uh, linebackers and, and safeties as a receiver. Now, CJ Anderson may not be that guy, but here's a chance to reintroduce Jamal Charles, who's been a Raider killer. Um, I, I would expect to see some some throws to him, uh, you know, maybe give him about seven or eight touches to see what he can do. But I I just think you just pound you pound at at the Raiders with C.J. Anderson and and make the defense have to uh, bring up the linebacker and the safety, and then you then you can throw the ball past them with your two guys outside in uh, in uh, Denarius Thomas and um, Emmanuel Sanders. So you you yeah so you get a lot of play action 
get get isolated with um force Mac to make a decision. Um, you know, unfortunately for Simeon, uh Mac is actually uh sackers in the league and of course um having faced Demarcus Lawrence who leads the league in sacks with the Dallas Cowboys and Melvin Ingram who has kind of had uh who did pretty well against them and now you got Mac. Broncos are giving up three sacks a game. So Simeon's gonna get some pressure. With all the more reason why we go back to step one, run the football. Mm-hmm. Or get the ball to the running backs in space. Uh you know, just uh Charles actually did uh did very well last week. He's back um against the Bills, but um the Raiders also allow about hundred and thirteen yards a game on the ground. So uh Broncos got a got a f- quite a few advantages here. So mm-hmm. it's um as long as they do not turn over the ball, which they've had a bad habit of doing, um, especially last week, penalties too, um, you know, they can take advantage of the Raiders' defense, which is ranked 26th overall. All right. All right. We're moving to the Monday night football matchup as my Washington football team travels into Arrowhead Stadium to play the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, this is going to be a very, very tough environment for the Washington football team to go into and win. The Chiefs are absolutely rolling. They got the number one rushing uh, offense in the league right now. They're making big plays. Um, yeah, 69-yard uh, touchdown run from Kareem Hunt last week, go along with the 50-yard touchdown pass from uh, from Alex Smith to Tariq Hill. They're really clicking on all cylinders. Um, they've been able to get up on teams, which has been able to have the pass rush unleashed. Um, so their defense is really, you know, looking good, even though they are a little weak against the run, the games haven't really been close enough where teams can stay with it. They have to abandon the run early and, and, and go with their passing game. So that allows Justin Houston to go out there and hunt and do what he does best, which is put your quarterback down on the ground. Um, as far as the other way, uh, them defending the Washington football team, uh, again, like you were saying earlier, uh, Chris, the emergence of Chris Thompson has been a revelation. Uh, he's the Washington football team's third down back. Uh, he's been instrumental in all the big plays so far um, that we've had. I think he's actually scored like all but like one or two of the touchdowns for the season so far. Um uh, the defense, if they can show another game like they did last week against the Raiders, against a team with a proven offense and proven coach, proven offensive-minded coach, uh, this will definitely go a long way. And the Washington football team uh, really proving themselves to be um, much better than just a 9-7, and 8-8, and 6-10 type team that I kind of thought they would be looking at their schedule going in. Uh, the improved defense and the improved commitment by Jay Gruden to stick with this running game, take a little bit of pressure off of Kirk Cousins, make it a little bit easier for him has really uh, done wonders the last two games against, uh, you know, two teams with some pretty good defensive lines. Um, you know, the the Rams, um, they got Aaron Donald back in his first game. You know, he, he might not have been at his best, but his you know, Robert Quinn was still there and, and the other guys were on that line. And then, uh, you know, the Raiders last week. So I'm um, very encouraged uh, by what I saw from my team. Uh, just, you know, hopefully they can be consistent and, and you know, just go out here and, and make it a tough game, make it tough on the Chiefs. Just don't get blown out. Um, and, and I think that, you know, it'll, it'll do a lot for them win or lose this game. What has gotten into the Chiefs? Uh, all of a sudden, play machine. They're like the Raiders with the vertical game. What in the world? 
four touchdowns between 30 and 75 yards. Uh, this game has the potential to be a shootout. Um, Chiefs are third in the league, averaging um, almost 400 a game, 400 yards a game, and Washington is eighth at about 373. Uh, you know that the, the Chiefs have gotten lead, have gotten leads on teams, and have forced uh, throw the football so they can uh, come back. The Chiefs actually have defensive backs that can make plays. So I'm not sure if that's the best strategy, especially when you when it's early in the game. Uh, I don't. I think you want to uh, test their test the Chiefs' defense in the run game before you try to you know try to throw all over the field against them, particularly on the outside. And uh, Washington doesn't necessarily have guys who um, who can go deep per se, but if Kirk Cousins can hit those intermediate passes and they can get some run they can get some running game uh going with some with some play action and get some guys in space um you know they they can move the ball against the Chiefs now on the other end it's all about Tyreek Hill uh somebody's got somebody's got to match up with him you know if he gets open it's going to be a while before you actually can bring him down because you do not want to chase one of the fastest guys, if not the fastest guy in the NFL, uh, in the open field. So, uh, but what we're discovering is that Hill isn't the only weapon. Uh, Ricky running back Kareem Hunt is already making a case for rookie of the year, as he's as he tends to turn in. It seems like he turns in a a thirty pl- a thirty yard plus play every game. So impressive, probably been the the, the pleasant surprise of the year so far. Uh, he excels in between the tackles. And if you, he, you know, he can make a guy miss too. So the key is you got to control him. If you're, if you're the, uh, if you're Washington, you've got to keep them under control and avoid the big plays off of screens and off of the short passes. And you got to tackle. All right. Um, another thing, if you're a team, a fan of the Washington team, like I am, uh, the third downs, the distance, if the Washington football team can stay consistently third and six, third and five, third and four, then they'll have a pretty good chance to keep possess the ball and keep the Chiefs defense on the field and maybe get a chance to wear them out. If, uh, you know, they're, they're not successful, if they're taking sacks on first or second down or not getting any yards with their runs on first and second down, and it's consistently third and 10, third and nine, third and eight, it's going to be a long night because uh, even though the Skins do have a really good offensive line, uh, it, you know, you're just – you know, giving Justin Houston that many times to get your quarterback on the ground, he's going to come up with the sacks. So you don't want to get into a have to pass mode uh, or, you know, third and long where that crowd noise and everything can can just cause and wreak havoc. So that'll be a big, a big part of what I'm watching during the game is just kind of the third down and the distance uh, for when Washington has football. Now we'll move into our final game that we're going to preview as uh, Tyler's Dallas Cowboys continue their Western swing as they head out to Los Angeles to face the surprising Rams. Um, it's proving that Sean McVay is the quarterback whisperer as Jared Goff was like a completely different player. The Rams are leading the league scoring 35 points a game. Uh, their defense is actually their weak uh, link right now is they're only 26 in points allowed. Uh, giving up a lot of big plays too. Uh, San Francisco uh, put up 39 on them last week. Uh, 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 Carlos Hyde had some really good runs. Um, Pierre Garçon had almost 150 yards receiving against uh, you know a really good secondary that the Rams have. But on the strength of uh, Jared Goff, Sammy Watkins, and Todd Gurley, 
might be the West Coast versions of the triplets. Um, you know, the the Rams were able to, you know, keep up with the 49ers and outscore them. And uh, they looked really good. This was a very fun game. And uh, this might be the type of team because uh, the one thing the Rams have an advantage of is McVay has a lot of knowledge playing against Cowboys. He knows uh, their scheme. He knows Rob Marinelli and kind of what he likes to do. And uh, he actually may have a little bit better. uh, He had a much better running back, much better wide receivers uh, than he's had, you know, going in with uh, Washington to play um, Dallas. So as long as they can protect golf and he doesn't make mistakes, I think the Rams have a really good chance to, to, to get one over on the Cowboys. Um, I am scared to death of this game as a Cowboys fan. This is the type of game, especially coming off a a big win over Arizona. Uh, this is what you call a quote unquote trap game. Uh, you know, this is this is the game that people penciled in as a win uh, as early as as late as probably three weeks ago. But if we can't get if uh, Dallas can't get any pressure on the quarterback to be some problems uh because right now dallas's secondary is the walking wounded uh let's let's just uh let's just see some things about dallas's secondary uh you know you got anthony brown who is just above a a, a rookie who's still learning uh, he's gonna have to start and he probably will be the starter the rest of the way at right corner but you have a hobbling Alandra Scandrick, uh, who you know he's going to be, you know, they, I, I would be, I would be surprised the day that you don't see an injury, uh, you know, an injury update on on Scandrick. Uh, also, he actually not only got out out jumped once but twice in uh, jump balls for uh, Larry Fitzgerald. Uh, Fitzgerald caught eleven balls for well over a hundred yards. And the touchdown and his most productive day in I think five years against the Cowboys secondary. Uh, Pierre Garçon has tormented the Cowboys over the years, uh, particularly in Washington, uh, and he's going to have a favorable matchup anywhere he lines up, hold on, uh, hold particularly on, hold on. in the slot. No, no, Pierre Garçon doesn't play for. I the mean, Rams. not Garçon, but uh, I'm sorry, not not Garçon. I'm sorry, I'm thinking of Garçon, but I meant. Um, uh, I'm looking at uh, Watkins. Watkins has actually fared, fared well against Dallas as well. Um, you put him in the slot. You put uh, Ty Gurley. Uh, put him in some one-on-one. And Dallas will give up some rushing yards. Uh, C.J. Anderson broke through them, uh, you know, two weeks ago. That's for running game. Um, and, you know, Gurley is Gurley actually has proven that he can catch the ball too. So McVay's got over, and that's, that's what caught me. I'm thinking of McVay. The slot receiver very well. He also uh, he also likes to dictate matchups. He'll move receivers around. And right now, Dallas cannot handle when a a uh, specific targeted receiver moves around, uh, whether it be on the slot, whether it be on the left side or, or on the right side. Uh, if he can get the ball, then you know if Dallas pressure doesn't get home, it could be a long day for the Cowboys. Which uh, means, which means the flip side. Why don't the Cowboys run the football and try to control the clock, which they did against Arizona? They survived. Uh, you know, allow the key to the game last week was when the Cowboys allowed just seven points, um, despite having the ball for practically three plays in the first quarter. Uh, Phil Dawson misses a field goal. 
and uh, Dallas go takes the ball and drives down and gets that tie and score. Pretty much knew that eventually the Cowboys were going to uh, going to win simply because they knew they could drive the ball against the Cardinals as, as good as their defense, the secondary is. And, and of course, Dak Prescott made a couple of big plays down, down the stretch too. Uh, so ball control, limit your turnovers, and your pass rush has to get home against Goff. This is a game where the Rams, I think they're one of the few teams who can kind of emulate the Denver strategy mm-hmm. where they can load up against your room with just their base defense and stop your deep passing game and not have to have any extra – uh, you know, cornerbacks uh, on the field. So it would be very interesting to see if this is another game where Zeke struggles and if they, if he struggles early, if Jason Garrett sticks with him just for the sake of the balance or if he tries to put it all on Dak's hands and they go air raid like they had to do against Denver. And if, um, you know, if he learned anything from that, that type of game and, and you know, cuts down on his mistakes uh, that he made against Denver, if he has to go into a game where he has to throw it, 40 or 35 times again. So that's kind of the matches I'm looking at, kind of what the Rams do against the Cowboys on first and second down. If, uh, you know, Zeke's getting three, four, five yards pop on first and second down, it's going to be a long day for the Rams just because the ball control will allow Dallas to get ahead. And then the Rams will have to try to, you know, maybe expose golf a little bit more than they want to. And the, you know, not be able to have Todd Gurley kind of control the game from their side. So it's going to be very interesting to kind of see who can get up early and how the, you know, who controls the, who possesses the ball the most. Third down is going to be really key in this game to see if uh, both teams can kind of stay on the field to keep the other team off of it. So at this point, again, this is Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente. I'm joined by my co-host, Tyler Ball. We're going to get into our final segment, which is the NBA. The offseason that just keeps on giving gave us two more major moves from two of the Banana Boat crew as Carmelo Anthony finally made his exodus from the New York Knicks and he went out to Oklahoma City to join Paul George and Russell Westbrook. A lot of people are thinking that now this moves Oklahoma City ahead of Houston as the second best team in the West. Um, You've got three top-notch scorers. Um, you've got a, a Swiss Army knife guy and Paul George, who's you know one of your better de- wing defenders as well. Um, Russell Westbrook, a proven um, you know triple double guy. Um, going to be interesting to see though how this works with these three guys. Who's going to make the sacrifice to make it work? If Russell Westbrook is going to be able to continue to hunt those assists, and if that's going to be a priority of his, like they seem to be last year. Um, but my biggest thing is this shifts all the focus and all the spotlight on Billy Donovan. Because now you've got a coach and you've got to come up. You can't just roll the ball out and say, hey, we'll just build everything around Russ for us to take us to the promised land. You've actually got to come up with the system that can, you know, incorporate all three of these guys. And hopefully Roberson's gotten a little bit better at shooting the ball. And Steven Adams has improved enough where he can give you some, some uh, inside scoring because you know he's going to give you toughness and rebounding. Well, I don't think it has to be a a entire system that Donovan has to work on. I personally believe that you that you take advantage of three sco- scorer strengths. You um, what you do is you you put Mello, You can put Melo on put Melo in the post. You get uh, uh, Russ to run. Take every transition basket possible. Obviously, that's going to be the first thing. Then the second thing is in the half court. You get Melo on one side. You get uh you get Russ to move the ball, and then 
you got you got your you got Paul isolated and he can go one on one against against whoever. So three guys, but you got three guys who can who can excel on one on one play. So I don't think it, it has to be a system. I think you go with the hot hand and you and you see how you know how but how I, that carries you. But I think in this day and age and especially the way that the defense is a little bit more of an advantage than they've ever had in the NBA with being able to kind of play a, a quasi zone and the, you know, legal defense, not as big a part of the game as it is that having three straight isolation players on one team seems like that would be easy to guard, especially if that's what your motto is going to be coming down the stretch. Well, it's, it's, it, they're easy to guard. If you rely on shooting jump shots all the time, um, somebody has got to go to the rim. And I think the reason why you have three, it, it's better when you have three instead of two, is because you force teams to pick a you you know you force teams to pick a side. Um, when you have three guys, you can um, you know your 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 mini zone can't rotate towards one, or you're gonna leave uh, you're gonna leave a George, well George especially because he's the best three point shooter out of the three. Uh, gonna get as many open looks as he wants because teams are going to rotate their coverage towards Mello, and all Russ has to do. Is you know if he goes over to the side where where Mello is, then you know he he can throw a, a reverse diagonal pass and find Paul possibly open for three. Um, also, uh, one thing there is good you have to consider is rebounding. Uh, you know you do have Adams in there. You know you you, you know Russ is going to try to crash the boards, but my thing that always got me is when Russ goes in and tries to crash the boards. Or if the ball uh, carry was long, then you may be giving up fast break points the other way. So it has to be a little bit more uh, more careful leaking out and not necessarily going after rebounds with reckless abandon because, you know, ball goes over his head, team's going the other way. I just think that um, I think if you enter it around mellow and let Russ pick his spots, you'll be fine. Concerned about him shooting because I just want him to concentrate on being the defensive maven that he is and, and put him on the shooting, whoever's the shooting guard is on the West, on the Western conference. And maybe even if he has to go up against a, a Steph Curry or a Dame Lillard, uh, you know, as far as defending that sometimes just because of the, because of the way the matchups, dic- the cross matches dictate. So uh, obviously the question is going to be how they do defensively especially against the Western Conference. Um, it just depends on what their what Adams and Robertson and their uh you know their bench can do when you know when it's time to be called upon because you know obviously you're gonna try to outscore teams. I think a big thing that uh especially all Western Conference teams, but especially if you're gonna be a team that wants to think about knocking off um the Warriors is they're gonna have to improve their three point shooting. That's going to have to make a significant jump. They were one of the worst three-point shooting uh, teams in the league last year. And um, so if they can make a significant jump there and, you know, be more consistent from the outside, that'll, you know, what you're talking about as far as playing your ISO ball and people having lanes to drive, that'll definitely make it much easier for those guys to kind of get to the hole. So that's where I think Roberson has got to – be willing to take shots and make them this year. Um, you know, basically he was 
you know, they were playing four and five uh, a lot of times with him in the game, especially um, who they get knocked off by uh, in the playoffs um, oh, last Houston. year. Houston, yeah, they especially the first in, game and then Houston blew them out. In the, right, especially in the last three games of that Houston series. I mean, it was basically Robeson was trying to get that ball out of his hands so fast, and he he had you know wide open shots, but you know he had no confidence and, and he wasn't going to try to shoot. So I think if he can improve himself and make himself into, you know, a 33, 35% three-point shooter where, you know, if he gets six, seven-minute game, he hits three on a good night, four on a great night, I think that will elevate them a long way and make it a little bit easier for them to, you know, run whatever type of offense they're going to run and, and not have so much pressure on those three guys to have to, you know, score, create, assist, and shoot threes too. So let's let's be honest about this too when you consider Robeson. Russ is not a great three point shooter either. And he takes bad shots. Mm-hmm. So I think Russ himself has to has to pick his spots better, particularly from from the perimeter. Uh those approved mellows somewhere around around the uh the mid the mid to high thirties. And of course uh PG um George is actually a, a solid uh, three-point shooter as well. So it's not um, – they're, they're much improved overall, but I do think that it's a little premature to say that they are – can take down the Warriors just yet because of the things that, we, that we've mentioned. Um, I think that they're good. I think they're going to be probably the three-seed, fourth at worst. But, yeah, they got some pieces that they have to talk about um, as far as – how how they're going to uh, figure things out. Also, the bench you got to figure they're they're going to have to uh, Billy Donovan's going to have to figure out how to get the productive minutes that he lost when he traded a bunch of his bench away. Uh, you know, we talking about uh, guys like um, guys like Sabonis, for example, who was a uh, uh, you know who was who was solid. Um, you know, obviously Victor Oladipo was, was a starter. Um, you got, you look at the team right now, you got, uh, you know, you got a guy, you got a guy like a Jeremy Grant, who is essentially taking the place of Serge Ibaka, um, being that power, that, uh, aggressive power forward who can guard and block shots and, uh, be a pest. Uh, you look at, um, the veterans like Nick Collison, Collison's going to have to step it up and be another, um, Another guy off the bench. Um, he's been the mainstay. Uh, between Alex Abrinas, who played some last year, uh, Bryce Alford, uh, you know, you got a young guy, Daniel Hamilton. Uh, you know, one of those guys is going to make the team. And uh, Kyle Singler is another guy who can shoot the ball. So somebody's going to have to make some shots. You're going to have to get some production from the bench. So we'll see. I'm, I'm, it's going to be interesting to see how this works. Right. Over in the Eastern Conference, we had the reuniting of the Super Friends, but this time in Cleveland, as Dwayne Wade got bought out by the Chicago Bulls, and he has made his way to the Cleveland Cavaliers. So now, what scares me is all these people are thinking that this is like 2006-2007 Dwayne Wade. You know, this is Dwayne Wade that they had to do everything in their power to make sure that he can make it to 60 games in the season. Um, I just don't know if Cleveland is 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 playing with fool's goal, having to depend so much on Derrick Rose and now Dwayne Wade to be healthy and be large contributors in the playoffs. 
This is when I had to, this reminds me of the old Knicks, uh, when they had Derek Harper, who I affectionately called him old guy back in, uh, 95. But this, this team is, this team is a ragtag bunch out with ragtag pieces around LeBron. Um, I don't know what to think about this deal. I don't, you're asking Derek Rose to put 16, uh, to give you 16 or 17 a game. You're asking another, uh, you're asking Dwayne Wade to be your, uh, you got to ask him to be your spark off the bench or he starts ahead of Jr. So Jr. now becomes your sixth man again, which, which is okay for Jr. Jr. doesn't mind that. At the same time, these guys are just, you know, Wade has such lapses on the defensive end when he was out there. It was just, it was bad. It was really, really meme-worthy bad defense because he just doesn't want to come out there and guard people. And you're going to have to guard people even in the Eastern Conference night in and night out. And I'm, I'm just not sure if if Dwayne wants that responsibility, particularly in the starting lineup. Uh, you know, I think if he comes off the bench, that instant scoring, kind of like Jamal Crawford was doing uh, before he got traded, uh, I think that's a great. That would be a great role for for Wade. But as far as him being, as far as thinking that this is going to be a a reuniting of of the uh, of the squad in Miami, no. Yes, I was thinking as well. I was thinking that Wade would probably be the best use of him would be to come off the bench because you can preserve his minutes um, and you can kind of, you know, play him in short spurts. You can go out there, play real hard for five, seven minutes at a time and then you can get him out and you hopefully can extend his wear and tear where he can make it through 65, 70 games maybe this season and, and still be fresh enough that when the playoffs come and he may need to play, you know, eight to 10 minutes in a stretch that he'll be able to give it to you. Um, Another, just like you said, a, a bunch of when you look at, you know, the guys that they have, just a bunch of kind of ragtag guys with, you know, big reputations, but not maybe big games anymore centered around LeBron. So this will basically be, you know, in LeBron we trust, you know, we can put any four guys around them, no matter their age or health and still make it out of the Eastern Conference. This is really going to be a test for them this year. I don't think it's going to be that easy. Um, we saw Washington uh, kind of nipping at their heels last year. We saw Boston kind of nipping at their heels last year. They were able to get by, but you know, they didn't uh, have the best regular season. They, they had to kind of flip a switch once they got into the postseason. Um, so I think this year it just gets that much harder. LeBron's one year older. He's, um, didn't have to, you know, do any of the Olympic stuff this year. So he finally maybe got a summer to kind of, um, you know, rejuvenate and, and come back and get, you know, refocused and re-energized and have a full summer to do that. But I, I just I just don't trust uh, Rose and Wade, uh, you know, to be there for him when he's going to need them. Yeah, that safety valve in Kyrie Irving is gone, and he's in your rival. Right. Which is, which is nuts, which is still nuts to me. Uh, so basically, you've 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 essentially, uh, you know, we can talk about the improvements that Cleveland made on the defensive end. Yeah, they can stop people. You know, you get Jay Jay Crowder's no slaps on the defensive end. Um, you know, I I kind of wish they would have gotten Avery Bradley, but Avery was already gone before this trade was made. But come to think about it, man, they he, it's 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 not a young roster to say the least. Right. Right. And, you know, I know he is in immaculate shape. He's, you know, one of the best 
conditioned athletes ever, but I mean, they've gotten so lucky with LeBron not having to miss any significant time with injuries. You just don't know, you know, when that is not going to be the case, because if that does happen, um, yeah, they're going to have a huge hole to climb out of. Oh, um, blow it up. If anything does happen to to LeBron this year, so um, it's going to be real interesting to see kind of how that how long it takes them to kind of get their things together. Um, as everybody knows, it's not it's not as easy as it seems playing with LeBron. Um, you know, especially if you're not inside of an offensive system that kind of keeps the ball moving around. And um, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting just to kind of see that chemistry experiment for Cleveland and see if they can you know take the first. 30 games, 40 games to figure out what they're doing and then, you know, how it looks the second half after the All-Star game. Same with same with uh, OKC. Um, I think I, I think folks have to be patient with them because, you know, playing with a, a all-world, and I use the term point in air quotes, uh, where you need to be as far as the offense is concerned, um, that's, that's not etched in stone. So what you need to do is as a um, – as a guard, you just gotta be, you know, be patient with Russ. Let Russ know where where you like to catch the ball. Simple stuff like that. Uh, Communication is gonna be important later on the court, especially when when you got when you're trying to play uh, a little mini a mini zone and you did and you're trying to avoid getting getting beat behind you. So some things that um, there's gonna be some growing pains, I believe, for. For Cleveland and and for OKC as they make the adjustment, right, right. Boston too. You know, it's not going to. You know, I think you know all of these teams are going to have a a period of time where we look at them like, what's going on with them? But you know, it's it's not easy integrating all these new new pieces. You know, really high talented pieces into these teams that were kind of established and set and looked to be on a path until this offseason, which is by far the craziest NBA offseason ever. I mean, basically training camp started uh, this week and that these two guys got moved on the weekend. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, that's talk about, you know, last minute moves. Uh, th- that's definitely it. Um, so at this point, Tyler, uh, open it up to you for your final thoughts on anything that we didn't cover or any profound statement that you'd like to make after this crazy week in sports. Well, um, just to just to bring it all together, um, I don't give credit to Nabias Wilborn. Um, he's always been adamant when he when he appears on on the show that you know sports tells the truth how America feels about certain topics, and that's been the case this week and literally the past really the past year. Um, I find it interesting that asking whether or not because especially to boycott the NFL because last year. Um, one portion of social media took credit for the boycott for protesting the flag. And now, um, now black people are asking social media, should they boycott to, uh, to protest uh, the same equalities that the players actually know for, um, you know, should they boycott the NFL? So you got two groups boycotting for the, for different reasons. And they're both affecting the NFL, uh, NFL line doesn't necessarily care because it's all about growth and not necessarily about uh you know marginal loss it's about not being able to grow so i just wonder if players are going to take a stance or if are if more people are willing to listen to what players have to say um that 
uh, I'm looking forward to eventually getting to the World Series. Yeah, I'm really uh, looking forward to the baseball playoffs. Baseball playoffs are definitely uh, the best part of baseball. It's a long grind of a season. Um, Just another tip, if you're watching baseball playoffs, don't go to bed before the fifth inning because you will miss the entire game. Game really doesn't start until like the sixth or seventh inning most of the time. So that's when starting pitchers get tired and they start having to go to the bullpen. And then that's when the game really starts, you know, turning out to what what it's going to be. Um, other thought is, is that um, uh, Roy Williams, uh, another classy gesture by him. Um, he said that uh, the reason why, if you, we're remembering when Carolina won the national championship this year that, you know, normally as soon as the thing goes over and the ball goes up in the air, the confetti starts coming down. But Roy Williams told the NCAA and the people in the arena to hold the confetti until Gonzaga got off the court. Uh, because, you know, he didn't want to feel like that they were throwing it in their face. And he kind of had that same feeling uh, against Villanova where, you know, they're trying to go through the line and make the handshakes and there's all this celebration stuff going. And I guess it was just an empty feeling for him that he didn't want to put on to the Gonzaga players and coaching staff if, if they happened to win this year. So I just thought that was a very classy gesture uh, by Roy Williams and uh, North Carolina Tar Heels, who also – are not going to go to the White House to uh, celebrate with President Trump. Um, it was uh, said that they couldn't find a date. Uh, that just may be, you know, Roy Williams taking a bullet for, you know, him making a decision that they're not going to go up there and be involved in his politics. So just a shout out to Roy Williams. And uh, like you said, Tyler, I'm looking forward to the playoffs starting this weekend, uh, next week rather, uh, starting on Tuesday with those wild card games, Tuesday and Wednesday with those wild card games. Best thing about the first round of baseball playoffs to me, daytime baseball, like it should be. Yep. So, so for my host, Tyler Ball, I'm Don DeLorente. And now, you know the score. Okay. Um, our 